And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Really great show for you guys today. Nate Tice is going to be joining us a little bit later. We're going to talk about some of the Russell Wilson rumors, some of the proposed rule changes that came up today from the Bills and the Ravens. A lot of fun stuff that we got to. Before we do that, though, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome ESPN Monday Night Football analyst and for our purposes here, a former pro personnel director in the NFL at two different organizations, Lewis Riddick. Lewis, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So when I was thinking about the ways I wanted to talk about free agency this year, I wanted to try to hit it from as many different angles as possible. It's kind of the benefit of doing three podcasts a week when there aren't any games going on. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really wanted to get into was the way that it looks from the team side. Because even as somebody who covers the league, I just don't think I know as much about it as I should. And I'm sure most general fans don't. And you're in a unique position to talk about it just because the roles you filled in front offices over the years. So I just kind of wanted to take people through what that process is. When you're a team looking at the landscape and free agency, the players you want to chase, all of that, how do you build the plan? So let's just go back just if we're doing this hypothetically. So for the 2021 Mm -hmm. class of players, the guys that are about to hit free agency here in a couple weeks, when do you start putting together a list of guys, potential targets, all of that? Well, I think, you know, as a pro personnel scouting department, you're, you're compiling all that information and you're basically, you're building your, your report base on that coming year's, free agent class all the way back in in the summertime basically wow, uh, it's okay. almost the same the same as, as college in, in the sense that look you you know as soon as as soon as this free agency period more or less after the draft is for all intents and purposes over and you're moving on to the 2021 season you're already thinking way ahead to the next crop of free agents coming available the next year which would be 2022 so let's just go back to last year you know, as you start heading into training camp in a typical offseason, I mean, obviously last year, a lot of things were thrown into disarray. You're already starting to prepare during the season to look at as a general manager and as a pro personnel department, looking, you know, talking about your director of pro personnel and all his scouts, who are those guys who are going to be unrestricted? Who are the guys who are going to be restricted? Who are the guys who are going to be exclusive rights guys who more than likely, you know, obviously you're not going to have a chance to get unless they get there, unless they're released. And you're starting to look at those positions and really you're, you're writing reports and evaluating all of them. You're, you're building, you're entering all the latest information into your database. And then obviously as the season goes along and you're looking at the strengths and weaknesses of your football team, you're trying to determine, okay, based on what our salary cap situation is going to be in that next coming year, 
what other teams salary cap situations are going to be in that next coming year, what other teams are looking for in terms of adding free agents to their football team, who would be the best targets for you going forward? So now once you get into, once the season is over and you're in early January, you're, you're probably, you're at that point, you're, you are deep into free agency meetings and, and kind of really whittling down this list as to who is it exactly you know, that we want to retain on our end, who are our free agents, and then who do we want to prioritize that we want to go after once the new league year kicks off. And you basically have a, have a draft board that's just a free agency board. I mean, you're, you're kind of trying to organize these guys and rank these guys, stack these guys, both vertically within their position groups and then horizontally across all um, 22 positions. And it's, it's very similar as far as how you would look at the draft, it's just that you're doing it for free agency. And um, and then once the new league year kicks off, well, actually once the tampering period kicks off, I mean, a lot of this stuff is already done anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really how, that, that's really how you go into it. I mean, and so it's a year long process. I think everyone's philosophy is different as far as once you're able to really officially legally start talking with agents and talking parameters of contracts. I think everyone kind of has their targets, knows what they're willing to spend, what they don't want to spend, what their philosophy is going to be as far as do we want to be in this first 24, 48 hour window where, you know, the players typically have the leverage and the biggest money is spent. Do we want to sit out and wait for the second wave of free agency to hit? Do we really want to go bargain basement shopping here later on in the free agency, you know, as the draft approaches and then after the draft, everyone looks at it much different. Um, it's pretty wild because I've always been involved in with it, you know, in my experiences where the people who are making, you know, final decisions, both in Washington and Philadelphia were very, very, very active right from the get go. So right even back the into the summer, they, they were in a part Meaning, of the process. I, no, I'm, I, I'm talking, I'm talking about when, when it came time to actually start talking to agents gotcha. and trying to get deals done. I mean, in Washington, as you know, in the early 2000s, <laughs> we made we made all the headlines every year. And then you we were there in 2011 in Philly, the, too, right? Exactly. The dream team yeah. year. Yeah. That, yeah. And that was coming out of the lockout. Yep. And it was I mean, it was super wild that year because, I mean, we were signing. I'll tell you what I was finding out. We were signing people as I saw them coming out of the training facility up there in Lehigh in Bethlehem PA. And I'm going, Oh, we signed him too. Oh, we signed him too. Oh, we got, I found out we got Namdi Awesome was signed as I saw him walking out of the building for practice. That's how I, I mean, that, that's how much that's decision makers at that time were just going all wild. And it usually doesn't, it usually doesn't lead to a lot of success when you are that active that early across the board in free agency because there's a lot of pitfalls that come along with building your football team that way so when you i'm curious the the list that you guys would start building in the previous fall in the summer and when you were Mm -hmm. thinking about targets and thinking about needs how Mm -hmm. accurate was your assessment of the needs you would have in the winter and spring all the way back in the summer how often would that picture change for you yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point. I mean, a lot of times, look, and, and you know, your needs today don't necessarily match up with your needs could be tomorrow. So you're trying, I mean, but that's that's the business you're in. You're in the, 
you're in the business of of projecting and a lot of and you may have to make a left turn from where you thought you were going to head the road you were going to head down based on what happens to your football team and or rather based or you know from from an injury and availability perspective or what happens from a performance perspective meaning you thought you were going to be strong in one area and you're not you didn't think you were going to be very strong in an area and you wind up developing some players and or getting some guys during the regular season either from another team's practice squad or before the trade deadline that just totally outperformed your expectations. You always have to be flexible. But I think by and large, you kind of have a good idea about where you're going to head um, once that new league year kicks off and the free agency frenzy starts. And, I mean, again, you're not going to bat a 1,000. It's not going to always pan out exactly the way you want because if we could predict, you know, human behavior and human performance, you know, with that kind of batting average, then we'd all be doing a lot more lucrative things than being scouts <laughs> at that time. But, but that's part of it. That's part of it. But yeah, you, you needed to be light on your feet. And I think, you know what, that's why you didn't just spend time evaluating those positions of need and, or those guys who are your premium targets. That's why you evaluate everyone. That's a free agent. That's why as a pro personnel department, you evaluate everyone in the NFL every year because you don't know when someone's going to unexpectedly pop up as being available. And you don't know when your needs are going to change. And if then you're trying to play catch up as far as, well, what exactly is this guy like? I haven't looked at him in two or three years and you're behind the eight ball. I mean, time to decision time to the time it takes for you to make a decision is what it's all about in the NFL. Because if another team is more organized and, or has that, information at their disposal right away where they can make a decision be on the horn with the that team's agent or that team's gm trying to make a trade or trying to sign a guy as a free agent they can do it faster than you you're done if you're you know trying to huddle up your scouts and go here let's look take a look at a couple games here well that guy may already be striking a deal with someone else so yeah that's why you always every year it was just a long grinding process of making sure you evaluated every team and every player especially the free agents, especially the guys who were guys, guys who were going to be targets. You put more eyes on those guys, had more people get involved in that process. And I know that sounds like a lot of tedious work, but a lot of scouting and personnel work, work is tedious. That's <laughs> what it is. That That's the discipline, right? I mean, are you, are you willing to do that? How did the staff look and what was the information transfer like? So let's say on average, what would you say the normal pro scouting department looks like? And how does that travel? Like, is it a weekly thing where you're getting reports from people? Like, what is the pool and how does the information move upward? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the pro department is always more or less in-house. I mean, there's usually a pro scouting director and probably two to three pro scouts, maybe one to two pro scouting administrators. So usually the pro scouting department is about – maybe five to six people deep. Wow. Plus that just doesn't, it doesn't seem that big. Of, no, it doesn't. And, and then also, you know, whatever, if your director of player personnel is a guy who splits his time between being in-house and on the road, so maybe that could be seven. Your general manager, he could be eight. Now, this all depends how much time the general manager spends actually looking at tape versus, you know, taking care of all the administrative duties that he mm-hmm. has and, you know, meeting with the owner and holding his hand and all that. It just depends how much time he has. So during the season, I mean, that's about that's probably about your typical pro scouting department, somewhere between 
you know, maybe as little as five upwards of seven or eight. Some guys have more people working in it than not. And what, what happens is guys are responsible for a certain number of teams to cover during the season, depending up. Uh, and so they will be responsible for tracking all of the comings and goings of that specific team and who the free agents are going to be for that coming year what kind of transactions these teams are undergoing, who's hurt, who's not, who's playing well, who's not evaluating everyone on that football team and basically being an expert on that team. And these are things that as the pro personnel director, you're constantly in communication with, with your scouts who are responsible for those teams, basically on a, on an everyday basis. I mean, that that's your job to know everything that's going on with the league as a pro director and then your pro scouts and their respective teams have to be experts on those teams. So it's a continuing, continually evolving process. Now, as a director of player personnel or a GM, as you're moving through the year, as you get into October, November, December, obviously you're going to start you know, narrowing your focus as a decision maker on those guys who you think are going to be available who you think specifically are going to help your football team in particular, because they, I mean, you're not going to as a GM look at every single person. You're going to rely on your scouts, then your directors to filter that information to you. So where then you can put your eyes on the people who you think are going to best help your football team based on what your needs are going to be. That's basically how it works. They build the base. They start to whittle it down. Obviously the analytics department may get involved as well, based on, you know, taking a based on like what, what the track record has been for teams and for you, as far as what kind of players do we want to go after? What, what are the specifics of the players we want to go after? Which guys statistically will give us the biggest bang for our buck, make our transactions be profitable and, and productive. And then, you know, it just keeps getting narrowed down, narrowed down, narrowed down to the point where then you have your hit list of people that you want to go after once free agency starts. And you were after the season's over, well, the last thing I was just going to say is the coaches get involved as well. And you come up with a very definitive plan about how you're going to use a player when you bring him in, how you're going to get him acclimated to your system. I mean, there, there's a lot, man. I mean, we could talk about this for five, six hours, just about how to best get the bang for your buck in free agency, because it's not as fantasy football-ish and as interchangeable as people think. As a matter of fact, a lot of free agency – needs to be more detailed as far as how you're going to bring a veteran player into your system than even bring in the draft draft pick in. It, it's, it's even, it's, it's more detailed because those guys are so used to doing things in a certain way for much of their career that you have to be very adaptable. Uh, you have to be very open and honest about how you're going to use those players. So there's no shock to them. So you're not shocked by their resistance to how you're going to use them because you didn't communicate with there, There's just a lot, man. I mean, I have so many stories about free agency. We, we'd need three, four, five hours. <laughs> I wish we had it. But I, so that part is fascinating to me because when you're building a board at a certain position, right? Let's mm -hmm. take, for example, maybe safety in this class. Okay. Yeah. The guys, the guys in that board, a, a position you think about all the time, I'm sure. Let's say Marcus May, Marcus Williams, John Johnson, all of those guys that are in this class. They're such different players with different skill sets. And the yeah. ways that they're deployed in their specific defenses, 
may be different in the ways you'd want to deploy them, especially in the case of like a John Johnson. If you're going to pay him a lot of money, the way the Rams used him, it doesn't seem like that's a player you want to spend a lot of money on. So all of that stuff just seems like kind of treacherous territory. So when you're trying to build that board of safeties in this class, for example, how would yeah. you try to differentiate those skill sets in the way that you build the board? I mean, what are those conversations like? Because it seems extremely naughty. Yeah, I mean, look, your your board has to be tailored specifically, as you're you know, as you're alluding to, to what it is that you fundamentally and philosophically are trying to do as a football team. And that board has to reflect that for you meaning so if you look if you're looking at it and you're looking at a, a at a picture of it the, the way in which you stack them vertically in that position group has to be reflective of how you think these guys rate in your system and how you're going to use them and see this this is what i'm talking about with with bringing players especially veteran players and how tricky this can be right so, all right, for instance, John Johnson played in a quarters-based system in L.A. and, and um, in Brandon Staley's defense. And that system is much different than a single high-base system where you basically have a strong safety and a free safety. One guy's going to be down in the box a lot. The other guy's just going to roll to the middle of the field a lot and play center field. There's, they're, much, they're much different, much different skill sets, much different mental requirements, much different technique requirements. And so you have to um, then you you have to you have to you have to be very specific about the kind of people that you target and then rank them appropriately. So if you're I'm trying to think of another team that plays a lot. All right. So if you're Chicago, right, and you're Sean Decide, the new defense coordinator, or if you're Denver and you're Vic Fangio. Now, obviously, Brandon Staley is a guy who comes from that same kind of background. Yep. So if you were, let's just say that uh, Justin Simmons was available which he's not going to be, but let's just say that he was because he's going to get franchised in Denver. I mean, you you don't think for a minute that a team like the Chicago Bears, if they were looking for a safety, obviously they would have Justin very, very high in their system in, in on their board because of scheme familiarity, how he was used. You wouldn't have to teach him a whole body. You wouldn't be putting him into situations or in positions where, you know, he was a guy that – um that had to learn a whole bunch of new things. Maybe he'd be resistant to it. He wouldn't be comfortable in it. I mean, those are the kind of mistakes you just can't afford to make. Whereas, all right, if you're if you're just, um, a team like the Rams or you're a team like uh, Denver or a team like Chicago, and let's just say Jamal Adams is in, is up for free agency, and he's a guy who you're looking to acquire. Now, I like Jamal. I think Jamal doesn't get a whole you know as much credit as he should get as far as his ability to do different things as far as the safety is concerned. But you may have him, although people know that he is an all-pro and a pro bowler, you're going to have him ranked a little bit lower if you're the Rams or, or Denver or Chicago because of how – what really he's very good at, which is you saw. He's a hellacious blitzer and pass rusher, tremendous box player. I mean, you know all these things about how they use him. So if you were just visually we're going to look at a representation of the Rams uh, or the – Bears or the Broncos free agency board, if you just saw it up on a wall, you'd be like, well, how the hell is Jamal Adams ranked that low? How yeah. vertically in that safety stacking? Why is he down there? Oh, because your board is supposed to reflect what you think that player's value is to your team and your scheme and your system. 
not the rest of the league or not what the writers think about him or not what his Pro Bowl accolades say or rather his Pro Bowl selections say, but how he's going to be used in your system. So it has to be very specific. You have to be very detailed. Guys who are who are familiar with what you want to do and who have played in your system are obviously are going to be bumped up a little bit higher as they should be because that's really what it's all about. And again, beyond their familiarity, you you also there's less guesswork. You almost protect yourself because you don't have to do as much projection. Of course. And that's exactly what you want to do in free agency. Free agency is not the time to be messing around with saying, you know what, I'm going to ask a guy to do something that he's never done before. Simply because I believe in my system, he's a guy who has all these physical traits. Hell, he should be able to do it. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Because when you miss and it doesn't work or you don't, I mean, from a physical perspective, or you miss and it doesn't work because the player says, I've never done that before. I don't want to play that. I don't want to do that. That's how you get fired. That's how you have owners going, what the hell did you do? What? Why did you do that? Why did you bring him here? He's never he's done. Look, let me, the perfect example, let me just go back to Nambi Awesome. all right? 2011, we bring him in there from Oakland. What was Nambi his entire career? His Man freaking heavy. press corner. The yeah, guy is 6'4", yep. who's got like six foot two inches of legs. I mean, you know, his <laughs> hips are like up at your, at your face level. He wants to be up on the line of scrimmage. Or rather, he needs to be. He wants. He needs to be pressing. He needs to be playing in a single high press man based system. We were trans- transforming that year with Juan Castillo as a first time defensive coordinator. Has spent a lot of time down at Alabama that that spring and summer learning uh, Nick's uh, two safety high type schemes, playing cover four, playing cover two, things like that. A lot of pattern matching stuff that we used to do in Cleveland that. Nick took with him to college ranks. That's where he went to learn a lot of the intricacies, especially of pass coverage. That's where he spent a lot of time. Well, we signed Namdi, and we try to have Namdi play that kind of scheme. Yeah, pattern match quarters. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Playing (laughs) off seven, eight yards, playing from a pedal, playing with square shoulders, not having his hips. Are you kidding me? And it was a wreck. It was an absolute disaster. Disaster. Who else did we acquire that year? Dominic Rogers Camardi, all right, who had been with the Cardinals before that. Great outside lane corner. Can play off, could play press, blazing speed. Blazing. Wasn't the most courageous tackler, not a good blitzer. Wasn't a guy who you really want involved in the run front very much. You want him out on the Audubon where he can use that length and that speed. He was like a greyhound. What do we do? We put him at nickel in sub. What? At nickel? <laughs> so he can now, he's a part of the run front. He has to be, he's, he's used as a blitzer. He's not a good tackler. And he's telling you, I don't like all this action in here. I don't like all the different assignments and responsibilities I have to learn as far as what my run fits are from a force field perspective, what my gap responsibilities are, where I'm supposed to hit this blitz. I just want to know who I got to cover. But we put him in there. That's Huge why mistake. I think I those think are that, those are the kind of mistakes that you can make in free agency. And I also think that that's why it, it's so that the tons of mistakes and tons of missteps are made in expanding roles for guys who were, I guess, quote unquote, role players within their offense. Right. So sure. let's take. Let's take a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster this year, okay? 
yep. guy who played 75, 80% of his snaps in the slot most mm-hmm. of the time. If mm-hmm. you're going to pay him $16, $17 million a year in free agency, you're mm-hmm. probably going to want him to be a 1A, 1B receiver where he's yep. going to be asked to do some things within your yep. offense that he was not asked to do for most of his career, but yeah. you feel obligated to expand that role because of the premium that you're about That's to right. pay with the guy. And it seems That's like right. th- number three, pass rushers are like that. And yep. that's just why that expanded role becomes so much more difficult. So with that in mind, do yep. you think that there are specific positions that are worth kind of investing in with free agency? Like offensive linemen, for example, because transition from college can be difficult. You're not necessarily projecting role changes as much with those guys. So are there a right. couple different spots that you feel are safer to invest in? with those free agent dollars? Yeah, I mean, offensive line, well, I mean, okay, you can invest in offensive line, uh, center guard, right? Okay, so let, let's just say you you can invest in it, but I think when you're, depending upon the position you're talking about, it's a matter of when you invest in it. All right, I wouldn't want to jump into the first 48 hours of free agency for a guard, right? I, I just, sense. I wouldn't typically, all right? I wouldn't want to be paying premium prices at that time unless I thought the guy you know, was then, you know, John Hanna, unless I thought he was going to be in the hall of fame and he was going to make, you know, life that much different, or let's just say, unless my team was one that was totally built in such a way, like say that remember the saints of the late two thousands when they had Carl Nixon, Carl Nix. Evans as the yep, guard, yeah. right? Yep. And there, re- there was a reason why. Okay. What is Drew? You know, Drew Brees is a six foot passer. Likes to step up in the pocket, needs to be protected inside out. Tackles weren't paid a whole lot in that system relative to what the centers and guards were, because that's where Drew needed his protection. So if you really are, if you think philosophically you're that specific about how you want your offensive line to look, then fine, go ahead out there and invest in it. That's fine. Most people though are going to want to protect their their edges because of the scarcity of premium offensive tackles. So if one hits free agency. And let's just say, you know, a guy, you know, a guy like David Bakhtiari would come available in free agency, which will never happen. But let's just say that he was, <laughs> then, yeah, invest in it. If you can get him, get him. They're unique. They're different players. In that vein, what positions would I be looking at? Look, if you have premium pass protectors like that, and I don't care if they're left or right, because as we all know, Von Miller wrecked the Super Bowl rushing from the defensive left, offensive right, and they can just get up and walk around. Clay Matthews wrecked plenty of games from rushing from the defensive left, offensive right. If you can get edge protectors, if you can get pass rushers, obviously if a quarterback ever came free, if you can get premium corners and you have a system, okay, when you're talking about corners in particular, if you if you totally understand how you're going to play that player and you're willing to accept how you're going to play that player, those are the positions I would go after. Pass rusher, corner, tackle, wide receiver. Now, wide receiver is another one of those where I've had great success and been involved with teams who've had great success, and then where we've screwed it up. In Washington, for instance, right? We have we we bring in Santana Moss from the Jets. Santana. Now, this is also where you like where you're talking about with Juju Smith-Schuster. You got to know what you're getting. Okay, if this is a guy who has the skill set to where he can play all three primary positions, X, you know, X, uh, Z, and the E position in the slot, then go ahead and pay up for him. 
go ahead. Santana was one of those guys. You put him in the slot, he was just hellacious. He's like Tyreek Hill in terms of he'll kill your nickelbacks and he'll kill your safeties if they ever wind up getting singled up. You can put him out on X where he's stationary on the line of scrimmage and he can still defeat press and get off the ball. Or he can play the Z where you can back him off, move him around in motion, get him away from some of those jams and create some space for him that way. Pay up for those guys. That's fine. Brandon Lloyd, who we also signed at one point in time in Washington, this is a guy who's not a three-position wide receiver, was not a three-position guy, couldn't play in the slot, probably needed to be a Z, could get jammed up on the line when he was playing X. You don't want to pay up for that guy. You want to be a little bit more careful. So that's what you're talking about when you're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, right? Yeah. Do you really want to pay that guy one number one money? Can he really move around in those positions? Is he really a movable chess piece that you pay a premium for because this guy can just – ball and beat anybody and defeat anyone no matter where you put him no he's probably not that's where you need to be careful you know there's a great a great study in that although this isn't free agency this is the draft and this is where you kind of actually have to be a really good scout too and really be you have to really be dialed into a player's skill set justin jefferson last year in the draft yeah right where justin play obviously well he had jamar chase so justin spent most of his time I don't. I don't remember what the percentage was. I know it was real. It high. was high. It, it was, was probably like seventy five percent at least. Exactly what I would guess. Yeah. Exactly. So we saw him this year on Monday night up there in Chicago, and we and you guys saw everybody watched him all year long. He ripped everyone a new one all year, from all three, like wherever they put him. Okay, so you can you can take chances on that. And I mean, and Justin was drafted in the first round now. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, they, they took a chance and they, they thought he was going to be a good player no matter where they played him. You wouldn't just require some high. imagination though, right? That's you right. still have That's to right. see it. That's right. You do, you do. And the player has to be willing to do it. The player has to buy into it. You know, it, there's a lot of things that go into that. So it, it's, it, it's not an exact, I mean, there, there, there's some gamble and there's some risk involved when you're talking about wide receivers in particular and when you move them around like that and that's where i think in free agency you have to be even more you have to be even more conscious of risk because you have to understand what the consequences are when you're wrong and i and i've just i've lived through it too many times and then that and those consequences obviously are associated with what you paid and how how soon in the free agency process you you jumped in and and what the corresponding prices are going to be. There, there's just a lot, man. There's a lot that could, it's funny having this discussion with you because it almost gives me anxiety. Like it used to then, <laughs> you know, thinking about all the risks involved with it. You know, I was, there's I was a lot. talking to, I was talking to a GM last week and, and we were just talking about, you know, I would get excited about the players available in free agency and how much cap space the team had. And he would just walk yeah. me back, walk me back slowly over the next three minutes. Like, <laughs> don't, exactly. don't, don't, he's like, don't get excited about it. It's you shouldn't be excited. That's not how this is going to work. And I just, That's, as somebody who, you know, I like this time because anything's yeah. on the table and all the player movement, it is fun to talk about, but when you yep. really dig into it, you just don't want to pay a plus prices for B minus players. And sure. oftentimes that's what free agency ends up being. So talk one more thing I wanted to ask you about with the risk. Cause I yeah. think it's really interesting. And a conversation I had a couple years ago with the general manager about this idea. And it was just that when in terms of the guys and what they're like, you mm -hmm. don't know until they get in the building. 
There mm-hmm. are pre-draft visits. You don't get to mm-hmm. spend a day with mm-hmm. these people. So when mm-hmm. you were gathering information on personalities, on how yep. guys would react to money, on what yep. they would be in the locker room, all of that, what are the challenges of that when you don't get that pre-draft type thing? Because you have to do your due diligence, but it, there just don't yeah. seem to be as many avenues to do it. Yeah, that's where you're having to rely on your network of people who are going to really give it to you straight and not just, you know, protect their own interests, so to speak. And so, you know, if you have coaching friends and or scouting friends that work at those, you know, at those respective clubs where this player has, has been, you know, will they give you the straight and, you know, the straight story, the clean story, the un you know, unbiased view of what this player actually brings to the table, especially if you have no previous connection to this player in any way, shape or form in your organization. It's hard. I mean, that that's what you're relying on. And that's why, you know, obviously, you know, scouting staff construction is important. You have to have people in your college and pro scouting department who have those contacts and have those networks because of situations like this, because you know, they're information gatherers in many, many ways. They're private eyes in many, many ways. And that and the the character evaluation and information gathering part of this whole equation when it comes to team building is as important, if not more important, than the actual evaluation of the player's individual skill sets. Because a lot of times, you know, skill sets and I mean they're there, they're evident for you when you look at the tape. And ob- and honestly. You know, scouts like to take a lot of credit for finding players and want to, you know, pat themselves on the back and consider themselves genius. But they're, you know, they very much so and very oftentimes have very little to do with whether a player succeeds or fails. It's really about the coaching staff and everyone involved in the actual on the ground football operation that really determines how players succeed and how much, how well players play. I mean, there's that's a whole nother discussion. But I'll say this too when you're, when you're talking about, all right, how do, you, how do you reduce the risk of being wrong and getting the right kind of player in there where you, there is no surprise? You know, you're, you're not surprised by how this player is as a person and how they're going to react to your environment and your locker room and all. The most success I've had in terms of reducing that risk has been when we have brought in players that someone on our coaching staff yep. had some kind of familiarity with or had coached at some point in time before or was real tight with people who they've coached with before. They played in a scheme very similar to yours. And when they come in, they hit the ground running and they just kind of assimilate themselves into, you know, your environment and your culture and you, and you take off. The number one, when I was in Washington, we did a few good things there, a few. London Fletcher was a slam dunk free agency signing. Greg Williams had had him in Buffalo. He was, we were running the exact same scheme that uh, in Washington that London ran in Buffalo. He was a guy who was a captain in Buffalo, very well respected there. As soon as he came in, everyone loved Fletcher, loved him. Slam dunk. When I'm in Washington, we signed Philip Daniel as a free agent. We had Greg Blosh, who was our defensive line coach in Washington, who had coached Philip in Chicago. Came in, hit the ground running no issues whatsoever, became an instant leader on the defensive line. Instant leader. We brought in Walt Harris from the Chicago Bears, brought him into what? Oh, Walt Harris. Came, just came in, was perfect. He was the third corner behind Smoot and, uh, and Sean Springs after Champ Bailey left. No issues whatsoever. I mean, the slam dunk. And even in Philadelphia, 
Here's the last one I'll get. Love him or hate him, Jason Babin had had that great year in Tennessee and then came to Philly. He came to Philly because Jim Washburn came to Philly. And Jim had coached him in Tennessee. We were using the exact same wide nine scheme that they were that Jim had used in Tennessee. That's what Jason had had a huge year on. Jason came in for us year one, picked up right where he left off in Tennessee. Those are the things that those are the kind of transactions that you really are looking for in order to really, you know, as far as reducing the chances of you being wrong and a player busting out on you in a bad way and making you look foolish. That's how you try and set it up to increase the likelihood that you're going to look smart. When you start going off the beaten path and doing the nom de awesome type of crap and putting him in situations where he's never been before from a schematic standpoint, and you have no idea what kind of person he is or player he is, and that's not to say anything bad about Nam because he was a plus player. I mean, a plus person, but you're just setting yourself up for failure and setting yourself up to look foolish. And we looked real foolish that year doing that. It's also one of those things where you have to balance just the way that you try to reward people in and out of the building. Because no if you're going to try to build your team through free agency and you're going to oh. bring in that group of guys and it just sends such a strange message to the guys that are already there. And I think that the most recent yeah, strange is a nice me, way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, you're, setting a most, bad, you're setting a terrible message. It, it's just terrible. a hard thing. I mean, I think Jacksonville yeah. is the best recent example of that where you're going to go out in 2017 and you're going to spend all this money on mm-hmm. guys like – Jay, on, on guys like uh, who came in there, Clayus Campbell, AJ Boy, everything else. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey is going to be sitting there being like, all right, well, I'm the best player on this team and I'm not getting extended, but you're going to go out and you're going to give this deal to a free agent corner. It's just mm-hmm. a difficult thing. And I just, that's a part of it that I don't think I really understood or appreciated enough before I started talking to people about how you balance that dynamic. Players who have been drafted by a team and who perform should be rewarded because what they wind up doing is passing down to the rest of the guys who come in there who are drafted that, Hey, you come here, you put on our colors, you ball, you'll get your money. And then it just continues to grow. That positive culture continues to grow. You get paid and, and, and that loyalty grows because guys, it then almost becomes like a, collegiate type of atmosphere right the guys who are drafted by that team paid by that team you know they promote the team uh, internally and externally they talk good about the team they recruit other players to come there as free agents they're the guys who are out in the community constantly busting their rear end to represent the team in the right way this you and, and they just lift the entire morale of the entire organization that's how that's what you want that's the kind of precedent you want to set you don't want to set the precedent of constantly trying to nickel and dime players and treat players who have you know left it all on the field for you uh that you drafted you don't want to treat them in such a way where they feel as though they are not valued and they're nothing but a expendable asset and then show all the love and fawn all over whoever the next you know, greatest free agent that happens to hit the market and come down the pike, you don't want to then start showing those guys all the love because I, I tell you what it'll do is that player who was, who you could have had be responsible for 
growing all the positive culture with inside your uh, locker room and inside your building, I promise you, he starts talking to other guys on that team and other free agents in the NFL saying this, look, man, this isn't the place you want to come to. Yeah. This place has no loyalty. This place doesn't understand culture in the least. And then all of a sudden you're wondering why agents are directing their players to go elsewhere, especially if the money's, you know, close to being equal. You're wondering why you can't land anybody. And here's the latest example of that. See, when people get all excited and see, this is how the whole fantasy football type of uh, mentality has, you know, can get, can become dangerous. When you're talking about, well, Dallas should go ahead and trade for Russell Wilson. Can you imagine what that locker room would be saying, given what Dak has given to that team in terms of performance and loyalty and doing everything the right way, if they went ahead and traded for Russell, and Russell's a great player, okay? Don't get me wrong. And didn't reward Dak at this point in time? Can you imagine? I mean, if I was in that locker room, I'd be like, man, please. And, and that's so the that's it, how you do it here. It's the wrench with the quarterback stuff. And it, it's the yeah. human element to it that I think it's so easy to say, all right, our guy is merely the cog in a machine. We think we can get similar production out of a guy on a rookie contract, even if it's not quite the same and we're taking a slight risk. But mm -hmm. by moving on from that guy and just tossing him back in the pool, you send a very mixed message to the rest of the guys in the locker room in the building. And it's just, yeah. it's a tough thing. I understand yeah. it both ways, but it's just one of those things that the human element of this and the messages you send with the ways you spend your money that's a real part of this, again, in ways I didn't appreciate when I was 25. Andy Reid, Drew, to drive that home to all of us, and I know in many one-on-one -on -one conversations he used to emphasize it to me, in particular during his time in Philly and my time in Philly, the relationship aspect of how important it was to always remember that this is a relationship business, both within your own building and then throughout the NFL as a whole. And if you ever lose sight of that, you ever think that this is just – quote-unquote fantasy fantasy football or you think it's just about you and what you want to do and how and you just want to kind of turn this into a transactional type of business eventually it's going to knock you right over the head and eventually right out of the league if you don't respect that aspect of it and clearly some teams don't respect that aspect of it and that's why the same teams every year late in january Usually it's the same group of suspects that are always fighting for the championship and the same ones are always selling hope at this time of year, talking about, look how much cap space we have. Look how many draft picks we have. Oh, everybody, you know, renew your PSLs and your suites and all that and your season tickets because this year we have a ton of cap space and look at where we're picking. We're in the top 10 and we're going to get a great player. And, and it's just like, and fans, they buy right into it, man. And that's why the NFL is always winning because they sell hope better than anybody. And look, I get it. I, I Before I was a player, I was a fan. And now that I'm not a player, I'm still a fan. I love the NFL. But fundamentally, as far as how many teams conduct their business, it's flawed, man. And it's flawed because it's too transactional and not enough relationship driven. And you're you're right on the money with that. And it's something I think teams, the good teams, pay a lot of attention to. The others pay a lot of lip service to it, but they don't really pay a lot of attention to it. The same teams are in the running for the real championship every December and February, or every January and February, and the same teams are in the running for the off-season championship every March. Yeah, unfortunately, I was on a lot of those teams that was on the, you know, that won the off-season award a lot. 
in Washington, we used to kill it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there were people who were more excited for February than they were for September. Well, that's what kidding? it's like in Jacksonville every year now. So yeah. we have we have similar kind of thing going on. All right. Yeah. I know you're an extremely busy man. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time out to do this. Always great to talk to you. And uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Anytime no you're doubt. around, happy to do it. So thanks a lot. Lewis Riddick, thank you very much, man. Appreciate the time. No problem. Thanks. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. I'm very excited to welcome now my good buddy, Nate Tyson. Nate, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Another week. Here we are. Still in the offseason. Somehow we're still in the offseason. <laughs> so I just... You know, housekeeping, full disclosure. So the way we're kind of doing these off-season shows, we're going to have some guests, but I always want to have you and Lindsay on just to keep the show like it's familiar. Like people feel like they're putting on a sweater, their favorite like comfy on the couch sweater. And I always love talking yeah. to you. So that's what we're going to do all off-season. Even if we have more guests and even without the schedule, you're going to be on at least once a week. That's the plan. So not we don't have a day lined up yet because I'm still figuring that all out. But yeah. you will be on regularly so people can look forward to that. So we just finished a conversation with Lewis Riddick about free agency from the team's perspective. And I wanted to ask you what your experience was like because you were on staff with the front office in Atlanta for two years, right? So mm -hmm. I'm yep. curious, as a grunt in the front office, like what is your role in the free agent process? Yeah. So I got kind of like a double whammy because I got the grunt experience and then I got kind of like through my dad, like osmosis of kind of like the head experience, yeah. kind of like what he has shared with me over the years. And I can touch into that in a minute, but it's as the grunt, you all that kind of dirty work you're doing. So it, you're setting up logistics. Um, it, depending on what the team situation was when I was in Atlanta, of course, the, uh, the scouting coordinator that does all the travel and everything went on pregnancy leave. So guess, guess whose lap that got put on. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, or maternity leave, I'm sorry. Uh, but it's, so with all 
like you have to put together tapes, like a highlight tape. So like, uh, I shouldn't say a highlight tape, a, we call it a POA tape point of attack. And sometimes it's just watch four games, five games, and you're finding all the good plays and the bad plays. And anywhere where this player, say it's a receiver, any catches, anytime he's blocking, if it's offensive guard, every time he's a main blocker or something like that, you do that for all free agent prospects and all college draft prospects for, for the kind of the big ways to kind of give like a little glimpse of the guys. What's they the should timeline on that for, for like the so, 2021 class? When would you have to start putting those together? For I would say class of Jan- free agents. Yeah. I would say end of January, mid January is when you're starting to put that stuff together. You're coming back from the senior bowl is kind of like when free agency starts kind of like, that's when that little section of the off season starts. Uh, before the combine starts and so so like all this kind of logistical things you're putting cut-ups together so you are actually watching lots and lots of games they might be a guy like i'll, I'll put up this uh, uh um I, I gotta remember the guy's name Derek morgan from uh the titans and then brooks reed they were two free agents we were looking at in atlanta and kind of same realm of how much they were going to get paid so what i had to do was not only watch four or five games and kind of highlight and low light and it's about 40 to 60 plays with those cut-ups will be i also had to do every time they deflected a ball every sack every tfl every time um i thought they blew, blew an assignment every time they dropped into coverage because we were looking at them we were transitioning to dan quinn who was a you know the four three seahawks defense and or hybrid but whatever we're looking at the sam position so i was doing stuff that was sam specific um the sam linebacker position so i had to see if i'm dropping the coverage and stuff but what you're doing is you're tagging all this you had to watch an entire season of just one player were really two players for this instance. And that was just to see, narrow it down for the the guys, the decision makers. So that's part of the process. And also, like I said, the logistical things, the big time free agents that you know that the guys are really like their five-star recruits of the offseason for the front office, maybe not as much interaction between the grunts and them, uh, maybe picking them up from the airport, picking them up from the hotel. Um, if we, with these big time, say, yeah, like Brooks Reed and Derek Morgan, were kind of like more of the five-star recruits for that offseason. Take the big timers, the GM, the head coach, the position coach, they go to the nice steak dinner. The scouting assistant hangs out there in case anybody needs to get driven home. <laughs> anybody needs to, you know, they need someone to pick up something. That's where you are. You're hanging out in the bar, just chilling. I mean, that's your role. Just, just and sitting next to the hostess at Ruth's Chris. Yeah, that, that's okay. Yeah, perfect. Picture of Bruce Chris. Everybody else is at the big table, <laughs> laughing, wine, everything. You're at the bar. Don't, don't not going to complain about free Bruce Chris dinner, but <laughs> you're off to the side just having a little fun over there. But that's that's your role in all this. But what I always I always thought is sometimes the grunts have the best feel on these guys because you literally sure. have to watch every single play. You don't get to go. You don't get to watch the highlight tape and go. Oh yeah, he's a good player. It's like no, you literally watch every single snap. And sometimes it's great to get the grunts' perspective because they are, have to watch these guys. It's like Clockwork Orange. Like you don't get to go. Oh yeah, I watch five games. I'm a grinder. And then the coaches watch actually like six plays. You know, like everyone's <laughs> gonna say they check the box, but you have to do this because you might get fired if you don't do it. <laughs> if you're a scouting assistant, so that that was like that's kind of the the steps, the process for that. When you get to like the middle free agents or low level, maybe those one year rental types you really have a lot of interaction with these guys. So you'll pick them up. You'll go to physicals, tryouts. You set up You set up the, the workouts if they have to do. If, say, like you bring three free agents in and you're doing an off-season tryout, you do all the logistics on that end. So they you have the pro director. This is in Atlanta. We had our pro director. He'd come uh, Whenever I heard him coming down the hallway, I was like, oh, you know, it's time to start booking some flights. Uh, and, you know, you'd be like, all right, put a, make a cut up of this guy, this guy, and this guy. You know, wide receiver A, B, and C. Okay. 
We're going to bring them in. We're going to work out tomorrow. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. So I'd book the hotel, do all that stuff. And then go into the workout. I was a quarterback. I would also throw during the workouts. <laughs> so it was, you kind of did everything. You had to wear everything how, in this. How rusty was your arm at that point? The, oh, this is a funny story. So when I first joined the Falcons, I had been about two or three months off from, I finished as a GA at Pitt in January. I started with the Falcons in April of 2014. So about three months, not really doing much, just kind of watching film, watching movies and moving to Atlanta. And my first week on the job, we had a top 30 day, which is for the college draft where you invite the top three. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it wasn't a top 30. Day. It was a local workout day that every team has. So it's all, all colleges. Or if you went to high school in a certain radius of your facility, mm -hmm. you can invite these guys to have a local workout. Some guys just, you want to interview. Some guys are like low level one double a guys you want to look at. Um, so I had to go there. The one quarterback backed out. He was from Flower Ranch, Georgia. Uh, he went to South Carolina. I'm blanking on his name. He backed out the day before. I, I've been on the job for four days. All of a sudden, the pro director comes into my office. He like barely even knows my name. He's just like, Nate, how can you throw right now? And I was like, oh, you know, I could, you know, I could do warm-ups and stuff. I'm, my arm might fall off after about 10 throws. And he goes, <laughs> okay, so you can do a couple routes tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, definitely. So we go to the tryout. There's seven receivers, four tight ends, three running backs. It's me and the quarterback from Appalachian State at the time, and I'm blanking on his name. We go in. Oh, no, it wasn't 10 throws. It was an entire hour and a half throwing session with throwing go balls, <laughs> posts, deep comebacks. I had to go into the gun because I, I couldn't drop back. I was exhausted. Like I, I honestly just stopped dropping back. I was just like, hey, just snapping the ball. I'm just going to catch and throw it. Like, like that, It was just like I was so out of shape and all that, and my arm basically did fall off. Like I honestly couldn't lift my arm for a week after that. Like No reps. Had a good day throwing, I will say that. Uh, but <laughs> but that's, that's what you have to do. You have to wear all the hats. When you're in those types of roles, it's, it's the more you can do. You're like, hey, can anyone throw? It's like, even if you can't throw, you're like, yeah, sure, I can. Hey, any, can anyone catch? Can anyone do Excel sheets? Can anyone do this? You're like, yeah, yeah, sure, I can do that. I can do that. But that's just, that was just the role. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's sometimes you're a little sore and everyone's making fun of you. And you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm sure those guys got very familiar with that Hampton Inn on 23 there next to the Publix in Flowery Branch, that's, Georgia. That's where it is. That's exactly. Yep. Oh, I was best friends with the manager there because I would drop you pick these people up from in the, the Atlanta airports, like an hour and 20 minutes from the facility through Atlanta traffic. If you're if you're really unlucky, it could be like two hours. I So like a top 30 visit. I know this is college, but we had Jadavian Clowney in. And it was him, Jake Matthews, and one other guy. And oh, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Landon Collins. No, no, that was mm -hmm. before. It was somebody else. But anyways, no, it was a year before. But whatever. Three guys going up. We're driving up. I picked them up at like 9 p.m. We're going up up the highway. It's taking like over an hour. And finally, Clowney just goes, "Man, you guys should be called the Georgia Falcons." Because we were <laughs> so true. No, nowhere near Atlanta. <laughs> and I looked at him. And I was like. You're right, man. We should be called the Georgia Falcons. He's like, this is where the facility is? He's like, where, are you taking this to South Carolina? And I was like, it's like, nope, this is where it is. You know, and you drop him off at 1030 at night. And you're like, hey, I'm picking you up at like 530. If this guy was working out, we have to get the physicals, do all that stuff. But it was that was that's some of the stuff you have to do every day. And you just do it. It's just so normal. But it, it's funny. It's hard to explain sometimes. Like, hey, guys, we're going to get you to our hotel in about two hours from now. It's like, I just landed. It's 10 p.m. I'm not getting into bed till midnight. And I have Listen, to work man. out at 5 a.m. As someone who's done plenty of work trips to Atlanta, Georgia, well, Flowery Branch, Georgia, I have Flowery felt the Branch. same way. When wow. you got to see it up close, what would you say is the thing about the free agent process that would shock people from the outside? Just an element of it that 
is either not as fully formed as people from the outside might think. Maybe it moves a little quicker and more slapdash than people think it would be. Like when you actually got to see the inner workings of it, what was surprising to you about it? How much kind of almost seemed predetermined Mm -hmm. kind of like, Hey, we we're talking to these two guys. Okay. Like not looking at seven free agents. It's like they already, by the time I heard, you know, I'm bottom of the rung. By the time I heard anything, it was like, hey, we're watching these two guys. Basically comes down to contract. Oh, okay. And sometimes it's just the negotiations. It's like, you might really like a player, but you're like, hey, it's out of our realm. It's like, yeah, we wanted that guy, but it doesn't make sense for us. Sometimes that surprised me. It's like, it's the knowledge that, yeah, we might've let a better player go, you know, or it might be sometimes maybe a coach influence. That kind of stuff really surprised me. Also just the, the uh, like I, I kept saying, the five-star recruit treatment. That surprised me, but it shouldn't because uh, when my dad was a head coach, we he recruited the hell out of Antoine Winfield. And his nickname the entire offseason was Billy. That's what he called him. He just said, we have this free agent, Billy. And that's all he told me because he thought like he thought like I would tell the media. I was like in ninth grade. <laughs> and he's like, you know, like he's like, yeah, we're going after this guy, Billy. And I was like, OK, OK. And it was uh, it was Antoine Winfield, it turned out. And the Jets almost signed Winfield. And, and, uh, like it should have, it was like an 11th hour thing. And I think his agent leaked the leaked the news and it, it ticked off Antoine. Like he was like, he's like, what the hell? I didn't sign with the bills yet. Or I didn't sign with the jets yet. No, I didn't do that. So they had to, uh, last minute, my dad had a call in a favor to get a private jet to fly him, fly him in at the 11th hour to fly him into Minnesota to like sign the deal. Like basically like stole him basically from the jets. And it's like all these communication stuff. And I didn't realize how much recruiting goes on. Like say, you know, Antoine, it was at the end of the day. It was fine. Sometimes you like Neil O'Donnell was a quarterback they were looking at. So my dad, he went to Maryland. So it was my dad, uh, Scott Linehan and Sean Hill and another, uh, another guy that went to Maryland on the staff, Brian Baker, I think it was, I think it was all Maryland guys. So that was part of my dad's recruiting process. It's like, Hey, we're going to sing the Terp fight song. We're really, this guy was like 33 years old quarterback. Like but that was my dad. He was like, no, we're going to make it good for him. It's just like a college player. Like when they give him the Jersey, like, Hey, like you're number two, if you come to pit, you know, like it's like the same type of thing. It's just really funny. Like seeing all of a sudden it's like, they get to the NFL. Hey, you have to be a pro. You have to be all this. And all of a sudden they get to a free agency and they're like, Hey, you're the prettiest girl at the dance again. Like, remember this from recruiting? Like, we it's just a weird mood whiplash and as soon as they get in the building it's like okay you're a player again like recruiting pro we do you recruit you <laughs> that process is over i the, i mean the jj watt thing seems like a perfect example of that just the fact that he was enjoy he seemed to enjoy being courted yeah. by the cardinals which i can yeah. understand that if you've been yeah. in the league for 10 years and you know you are no, just somebody in the building even if you are a superstar like hall of fame type player i can get why that that would be enjoyable for somebody. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about the player side of this next week. We have a former player coming on that was an in-demand free agent at one point because I'm really interested in what it's like from the player side because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what the public thinks from the player side of things. There are guys that I've talked to specifically. I'll, I'll say this now. I'm, I'm, I don't mind. I remember talking to Zadarius and Preston Smith together a couple years ago. We were sitting there in the little tiny interview room they have near the podium at Lambeau. And both of them essentially told me, like, my agent handled this. Like, whatever the highest offer was, that's where we were going. He told me where I was going. And that's how a lot of this goes. A lot of it is dictated by money. And there are some tiebreakers, you know, whether it's destination, quarterback stability. But a lot of these guys on second deals – that are trying to cash in for the first time, 
whatever the biggest money offer is, that's where I'm going. Adrian Amos essentially told me the same thing because they had that huge splurge in free agency that year. So I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, where do you want to go and who do you want to play for and what kind of offense do you want to play in? The dollar figure matters a lot when it comes to those second contract free agents. And again, I think that that's something people don't really appreciate. All right. The the, the NBA big, big market thing doesn't really apply to the NFL. It's it's totally different animal. It's that I, that is so true, and I I knew that, but it was like it reaffirmed me when I was with the Falcons, and all of a sudden I was like, oh okay, yeah, these the GM already knows who the guys are. Like we're only talking to these two guys. These are in our realm. Yep. We 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 are a finalist already, and it was like that was day one of free agency, and I was like, okay. All right, that was kind of well, because like everyone thing knows by the combine who's going to offer what, even though the tampering period For, starts forty eight hours. Oh my god, what was the receiver so. contracts that happened? Like three contracts were all within like five hundred dollars of each other. They all got released at the same time. It was like two thousand fourteen ish, fifteen ish. Like two or three guys signed new. Was deals. that like the Dez AJ Green? Um, yeah. Dez AJ Green and Julio yep. were all at the same time. Yeah, I remember yep. that. And it was like, but like two of the deals were like identical, and it was like they're different agents, and it was like. Somebody was talking. <laughs> like, yeah, somebody communicated something. All right. I want to have a conversation about Russell Wilson because we yeah. have not talked about it on the show just because we've been doing some bigger picture looks at stuff that have taken precedence over the last week or so here. But I feel like I should talk about it in some capacity because he put the Bears on his list of four teams, which at first glance, seems crazy, right? So anybody who hasn't read the story that Michael Sean Dugar, Jason Jenks, and Mike Sando wrote about essentially the relationship with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks and kind of how it's deteriorated, what the treatment that he thought he deserved, how much he's being heard in the building, it's a fascinating bit of reporting. I could not recommend it anymore. If you haven't read it and you don't have an athletic subscription, you're screwing up. So go do that. Then come back to this. And so... Obviously, there is some friction there, and there's plenty of friction there. I thought it was hilarious that the agent felt compelled to come out and say, we are not requesting a trade, but here are the teams that we would be traded to. But (laughs) it's a big old but in that one. (laughs) It was incredible. So you look at it, and it's a fascinating collection of four teams, right? The Cowboys makes total sense. Everybody wants to play for the Cowboys. I can understand why it would be an attractive place to play for a quarterback for anybody in the NFL. The Raiders, same kind of deal. I mean, it's John Gruden is there. I think players are interested in playing for John Gruden. They've done a really good job in free agency, courting guys they've wanted over the last couple of years. It's an offensive-minded head coach. I can understand where he, why he'd want to play in that offense. New Orleans speaks for itself. I mean, people love playing there. The locker room there is like notoriously good and you get to play for Sean Payton. He's seen what Drew Brees, a guy he looks up to, has done with Sean Payton over the last decade. Chicago is a total wild card. And it really does seem, based on the reporting that's come out, Jeremy Fowler from ESPN has done a really good job kind of keeping his finger on the pulse of this. And he's talked about all of the different reasons that Wilson is attracted to Chicago. And when the Bears were first on that list, my initial thought was he understands what it would mean to be the the quarterback of the Chicago Bears and succeed and the ramifications that would have. And for somebody with as much, as many ambitions as Russell Wilson has and the grand ambitions that Russell Wilson has beyond just his success on a football field, I don't think it's that crazy that he would want to play in Chicago, even with some of the concerns about the line, the offense, everything else. Yeah, Chicago or Chicago, 
Russ is definitely a big picture guy. He is a guy that understands the legacy. Uh, and and I think... Was that even obvious you, to you when you guys were younger? Absolutely. Uh, as soon as he came into Wisconsin. He came to Wisconsin. The biggest reason he came to Wisconsin, yeah, it was the talent we had, you know, of, of course. But it, he said he went there to prove that he could throw the ball in a pro-style offense with big offense alignment. That's why he came to Wisconsin. It was to prove himself. Okay, a guy yeah. thinking that way already, he's thinking about his NFL draft stock. And it's like, okay, so that's that's one sign. And we we talk more and more and, and, and there's countless stories with Russ. But, you know, with, with Chicago was we played Northern Illinois in at Soldier Field uh, our senior year. And I think it was the second game of the season, maybe third. His brother lives there. Um, uh, Harrison, I believe his first name is. And Harrison lives there. So he Russ really likes Chicago. Every time he goes there, he doesn't do so much anymore, but he used to. He would ask about the Purple Pig, which I think is closed now, uh, the restaurant. Uh, yeah, in, in it's right Chicago. there on Michigan Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. And he would ask about it. And like every time he went, he was like, hey, my dad knew somebody. So he's like, hey, can you hook me up? And I'll always be like, it's not me, Russ. I don't know anybody there. But yeah, I can, <laughs> I can, I can like push you up with somebody. But Russ likes Chicago. Russ is a big picture guy. Russ understands the legacy. Chicago makes all the sense. It's it's Chicago. Yeah, I mean it's it's New York, Chicago, and L.A. Like the, those are the three biggest markets. And if you make it in Chicago, it's just like the line with New York. You make it here, you make it anywhere. Same with Chicago. They want to love you. If you're the quarterback, you're the first Chicago Bear quarterback that can be like be a guy, like or bring a, a championship home like that. You're there. You're a god, right? I mean, you know it. Like if you're a winner there in Chicago, you're a god the rest of your life. There's a reason that Dicko won one Super Bowl there, and also. I, I go to Dick's Steakhouse all the time, and that's all you know. It's close. and everything, and yeah. Oh, it is. Purple, Purple Pig is still open. Dick Dick's is closed. Yes. Okay, maybe I mixed them up. Okay, but yeah, but Dick's is closed. Really? Oh man, I love the bar there. They had they had a little plaques there for the regulars. So it was great. Uh, but the but that's what Russ understands that, and I think the Vegas stuff makes sense to me too. The Raiders are a national team. Like Raiders could honestly just be a one name team, like Seal or like Madonna. Like they could just be the Raiders. Like, you yeah. know, Las Vegas is secondary to that. And that was the reason they moved to Las Vegas, really. When I was with them in Oakland, they knew that Las Vegas is it's very easy to travel to. So people can just make it a weekend out of it. Raiders are a national fan base. One of the top three or four teams that have the, you know, just fans everywhere. Cause it's just, they have that, that tradition of, 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 of that legacy, I should say of, you know, the play, how they play, they're the bad boys, you know? So people are attracted to that. Just like people are attracted to the Cowboys, they're America's team. And it's, that makes sense to me. The Raiders, not so much uh, Gruden does make sense. Offensive coach. He'd fit right in with that kind of scheme. It's heavy, you know, play action, all that good stuff. But also I just think it's also in, he's a Vegas and you could be a God in Vegas. You could have Frank, Sin Frank Sinatra, like, um, Jerry Tarkanian is like the only real big sports legacy here. He has like three streets named after him here. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> and he's, he's UNLV's basketball coach. You know, it's like, you know, that, that's, that's the type of, they love sports here. They just have nobody that they could have latched onto. You know, it's not like Randall Cunningham is, you know, like some of the UNLV star, but it was like, you know, that's, that's his legacy. So that one makes sense to me. And then Dallas and New Orleans, just like you just said, it's just, just easily makes sense. I just think the Chicago thing is all about legacy for him. He wants to be a Hall of Famer, first bout. He wants records. He wants to be considered an all-time great. And what better way to be considered an all-time great when you're doing it with in a big market that's going to market you as an all-time great? And you're going to always have that chatter about you. If you're with one of these national teams, you're always going to be talked about. Even if you're average, you're always going to be talked about. It's just how it goes. And he understands that. He's smart enough to understand that. I also think it's really interesting that he's played in Chicago twice during his career. The two times he's played in Chicago. Oh, the were, first one. It was in 2018 
when the Bears were a playoff team and they it was a Monday night game that they lost. And then it was in 2012 when oh, the yeah. Bears were eight and four and it was oh, yeah. December. And I'm telling you, man, I, that I'm was his breakout trying. game. And that's the fact that he the two times he's played here is when the Bears were good and relevant. When the Bears are good, you feel it. Oh, yeah. it, it is. And I, I'm not trying. I'm, I'm people that don't understand this city and what the fan base is like. It's a great sports town, right? I mean, the teams have been terrible. It's a great sports town. But when the Bears are good, it's just different. It is oh, yeah. different than anything else. And there is a feeling in the fall when it happens. And I am not surprised that those are the two exposures he has had to Soldier Field is when the Bears were on the verge of the playoffs late in the season. Like, it makes total sense to me. That does. And that was his breakout game. God, Lovey didn't challenge. For, do you remember that game at all? Forte got stuffed no, up. I, I don't remember. And, I don't remember that game. Oh, it's I weird. do. I remember, I, I remember all the losses. Uh, the, this, was, the, this was a stretch where I was watching games at Bill Simmons' house, and I had to uh, fight to get the Bears on a TV. It was like one of those things. It was like just yeah. one of those tiny little TVs in the pool house that I had to fight to get on. You you had the TV with the VCR on the bottom. Like that's, that's exa- the one exactly. That in the corner. I, I, yeah, and yeah. I had the pity TV in the corner while the Patriots were on the main TV. Oh, man. Forte got stuffed at the one, and, and Lovey, it was an easy touchdown, and Lovey didn't challenge it because it was marked down. You know, it wasn't like the reverse, the automatic score. Miserable. And that has stuck with me because that's the 10-6 year that they should have been in the playoffs. I, I agree with you. I, I'm probably going to – my dad or myself have been with several franchises, and I still say his time with the Bears is probably my like one of my oh – God, Viking fans are going to slip my throat. But like, uh, but it's it really was. It was my favorite time like to be a fan of a team, of an NFL team. Raiders is a little different because I was working for him. So you kind of don't get that yeah, yeah, yeah. same love with it. You're like you're, you're, it's your job. Um, but like bears, I was still a fan. I was in college and it was just great time. It was a great times just period uh, in my life. So I have fond memories with the bears and Chicago fans. So I understand that Russ has been there three times, has three wins and has had three great experiences there. So it makes a ton of sense to me. All right. So, from a schematic perspective, I think there's a lot to consider. The Bears, again, I, I think that he's doing a lot of projecting about other stuff when it comes to the football yeah. side of this. The Raiders, to me, is easy. I mean, that is yeah. – I, I could see that in my sleep, him doing what Carr does for the Raiders and just being a little bit more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Dallas, I still don't know what to make of the Dallas offense. You and I talked about this last week. I, I didn't watch the Cowboys for like two months, and no one did. So I don't yeah. know how he would necessarily fit in what they want to do offensively because I don't think we've really seen it. The Saints, to me, is really interesting because you'd have to go back to a prior version of what the Saints were offensively in the earlier days of that Breeze Payton partnership, I think, to understand the right ways to unlock him. But those early days, I mean, whether it was, you know, 2011, let's say even, there were some kind of down the field, aggressive, that oh, yeah. they played a different style under Payton earlier in Breeze's career than they did in the back half. So I think there's a version of what they do where you could really use him to great effect in New Orleans. That's what always stands out because that's that's what's been so weird for me. And I, I've touched on this in the pod was when I was at uh, Wisconsin pre-Russ, uh, we would watch the Saints every summer and, and watch the film because they did so much 
play action overs and posts. And guess that's, you know, what concept Russ is really good at is play action with overs and posts. And we did, we watched it all the time, all the time, all the time. And of course, Wisconsin, we copied a lot of that stuff actually. Um, but that's, it makes total sense. And, and it's just Peyton, Sean Peyton going back. It would be like the Taysom Hill offense, but souped up. Like that's, that's kind of, if you want a great if, way to put it, if you want to picture what the saints offense would look like with Russ, it's what they ran with Taysom Hill, but then it would just be better. <laughs> it would be a guy with actually can complete these balls consistently, but that's what it is. It's more vertical. And the bears version would be what they ran with Mitch. When we talked about the improvements, when they were running the slot hip slot stuff, oh God, play don't, action don't give me hope with that. That sounds amazing. I know, <laughs> but that would be what we, what, it, what it would look like. It wouldn't be the RPO, what they wanted to do with Foles and all that stuff. It would be more like the Mitch trying to make it easy with training wheels with Mitch. But that offense is really friendly to Russ, who is a one-and-done read guy before he does Russ things. That is what you want. <laughs> so I could see the easy picture image for all these offenses. Like, uh, And the Raiders make sense because that's the exact same thing, too. They like the same types of stuff. It, that stuff all makes sense. And then Dallas, yeah, I don't know. Dallas would just, I mean, that's some high, some Frankenstein's monster of Lenahan and Mike McCarthy's offense that they go on, going on down there. Well, we talked about it with Lewis earlier. I just think that you would have a mutiny on your hands if you traded Dak Prescott for Russell Wilson and with the guys in Dallas. That, oh that would God. be a really, really hard sell to your locker room. But the other oh. ones make sense from a we would want Russell Wilson perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the advantages that the Raiders have is that they could send a quarterback in the other direction. And that is the downside to what the Bears might have to offer. I am fully of the opinion that if you were Chicago, you would do everything you had to do to get him. I would give up three first-round picks for Russell Wilson without even thinking about it. Because yeah. most of these avenues out of where the Bears are right now are miserable. They're dead ends. There's no yeah. way to get anywhere. Trading a first-round pick for Carson Wentz doesn't get you anywhere. I think trading three for Russell Wilson gets you somewhere. That even gives you a life if this regime doesn't necessarily work out. So that's they should do everything they can to get him. The mm -hmm. question is, would Seattle be attracted to that? I was talking to somebody about it the other day, and that's kind of that was their thought on this, is that because the, they wouldn't have an avenue to get a quarterback, I'm talking about the Seahawks now, it's just not as appealing to them. If you're getting picks in the 20s for the next three years, including 2021, you don't have an obvious way to get a guy. And that's just harder to justify because if you're the Seahawks, what are you doing? Well, you're a year removed from trading two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. That's a finishing stroke on a championship window type move. Mm -hmm. If you trade Russell Wilson, where are you now? And I think that's just a little bit tough. Also, financially for Seattle, his signing bonus was insane. I mean, he's yep. a thirty-nine million dollar dead cap hit if they trade him before April or before June first. So that's just something to take into account. If they do it after, they can spread it out. But his base salary this year, I want to say, is something like nineteen million dollars, and he's got thirteen million dollars in proration for the next three years. So the way they handed it out to me makes a lot of sense. If you know you're committing to a guy long term, right? Give him a massive signing bonus. You're fine paying down the road because he's going to be a pillar for you. But if he's not going to be then you're eating a lot of money in the short term. And it's just, it's a really difficult thing to get over. But if that relationship is fragmented and you feel like it's time and you can get a lot for him, maybe you do it. But I think for the Bears, it's a no-brainer. You do everything you can. I would just be calling John Schneider 15 times a day. Oh, I'd be annoying the hell out of him. I, it's hilarious that two of the top five quarterbacks, if we're including Dak, three, are available. <laughs> It's like it's like available through trades, you know, between Dak, Deshaun, and Russ. It's like 
that, we may be we may be doing a podcast about that on Monday with Mike Sando. We we, we might okay. be doing we might be doing okay. That. So it, it, please, it. I, I won't bogart on it. So <laughs> please please it's, check back into the Athletic Football Show next Tuesday. All right. Yeah. There last we go. thing I wanted to hit before we get out. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with Russ? I think that that was basically what I wanted no. to hit. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. It's just, it, it's exciting times. Uh, it's one of those where I, I'm just curious. The, the league has never been like this, and I'm no. all for it. I'm all for it, though. I, I Whatever. And people want to complain about player empowerment and all that. Screw that. Like, get the money. Like, make it happy. Every It should all be win-win situations. We should be putting the best product out there. All the teams should be putting the best product out there. Let's... Like, let's just get these teams going. Like, I don't know. I love it. I, I the loyalty is dead now. <laughs> like, yeah, you want to be loyal, but guess what? Only the best players can be loyal because <laughs> they get this long contracts. It's like, so who cares? Kyle like, Van Noy like, got cut after one year in Miami. One year. I mean, it's one year. One year. He's he was a team a captain. Center. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it, loyalty. Teams are somebody I was talking to on the player side of this couple last week said this to me, and I just it's totally right. And when and they try to instill into players. This is not a family. When they tell you this, that is a way for them to kind of get you to buy in in a way that's not necessarily yep. beneficial to your financial yep. upside, your career, everything else. It's a family until it's not convenient for them anymore. And I think that we're seeing a shift in the public perception and how goodwill on the public side of this goes. I think it's more toward players than it's ever been. And I think that's part of the equation. Again, we're going to talk about this with Mike yeah. next week, but I definitely think it's something to take into I, account. I, you know what changed this all for me really more than anything was Andrew Luck. It's it just, I'm tired yeah. of that. I don't want another guy being ruined. Like, I just don't want that with a team not putting what they, and Andrew Luck never demanded a trade or anything, but I'm just saying like a guy just getting beat up by a bad situation. It's like, I, I don't want to see that anymore. Like, I, I want these guys on good teams. Of course we do, but it, it's, it's making sense now. And now that these younger GMs or guys that are more uh, cr- uh, creative with this stuff, it's, it's going to get some creative And have trades, a b- bigger risk happen. appetite, I think, as well. Yes, yes. I think, I think it's because now the fans are starting to get more realizing what the situation is, so it's easier to swallow for them or explain why they did things now, as opposed to if you did this five years ago, everyone was like, whoa, like, what? Like, I don't understand that. And now, like, mid-season trades are happening, pick swaps, like, all this stuff's starting to happen now. And it's like, okay, Fans are learning to tolerate it, learning how to digest what's going on. So it's easier to sell to everybody because you're not doing some crazy wild thing now because you can point at other trades that have happened and get you have you know have established marks now. So I think it's just now NFL fans are going like, okay, they're getting a little more uh, used to how maybe how other professional sports leagues operate, especially the NBA, uh, where this is just cranked up to 15. <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious, and I'll be a little bit discouraged if we have all of this smoke over this month and a half here and then just nothing happens which i think there's a chance that happens i think that there's absolutely a chance that we're going to spend all of this airtime and all of this energy thinking and talking about russell wilson and deshaun watson and neither of them change teams and we just have all (laughs) the same group of quarterbacks that we had and i do think that it's already changed a little bit the fact that stafford wentz and golf are all on different teams already and it's march 2nd i do think represents a change but with the bigger name guys, that would be a step that I think would be unprecedented. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. 
High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, before we get out of here, some really interesting news today. So this is the time of year where teams can submit rule proposals, and these can apply to a bunch of different things. And to me, the two more interesting ones that came out here over the last 24 hours were from the Bills and the Ravens. The Bills came out and put forth something that I think makes a ton of sense. So under this proposal, this is uh, our own Matt Fairburn uh, reported this from The Athletic, Teams would not be allowed to hire for coaching or front office vacancies until after the Super Bowl. And we'll see. I think the obvious concern with this is whether teams would just work around it. But you can say that with any rule change. And I still think if you put a rule in place, it would still provide a little bit more order to this. And I still think it would be a solution for some of what we saw. If you had guys like... Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier, both of whom were getting interviews as the Bills were still in the playoffs. What happened with Eric Bieniemy, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, everything this year, I don't know how much it would change, but I do think that it would give a fuller picture of the types of coaches that were available and what they would be capable of. And I think overall, it would be a net positive for the league if it went in this direction. How enforceable it would be is an entirely different question. Yeah, guys are going to find loopholes, but... I- I like it standardized. It's like, hey, free agency starts this day. Hiring period starts this day. Exactly. Yo, draft this. Standardize it. Otherwise, you know, it, it's. I, I, I'm going to speak a little bit uh, both sides of my mouth because, like, the other thing is, I, I'm all for a team being smarter and finding a competitive advantage. But it's kind of more like, is it a competitive? Like, is that really being smarter, or is that just being like? you know, first to the thing or like whatever, you know, like, is that actually a harder work to like find that advantage? I don't know. So that's why I'd rather just have it standardized. It's like, Hey, the hiring per- periods, February 5th or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I don't mind it. I, I, I can argue both sides. I fine with it. If they did want to change it though, I, I think that's actually a good change because that way you just get out of this. I, I you, you handicap some of these good coaches because some of these guys too, on top of it, if you're in the middle of a playoff run and all of a sudden you get an interview or something of that sort, you're game planning and then all of a sudden you have to. I've put always some found that crazy. Insane. I don't like the, the idea that you're trying to interview for a job the same week and on an off day where you're trying yeah. to prepare a game plan for one of the biggest games potential of and, your entire life has always been that's, nuts to me. And that's a misconception is people think, oh, he's, it's his off day. An off day for a coach is Monday morning getting in there. I don't know, 6 a.m. And we were between 5 and 7 a.m. Grinding the film and already putting the game plan. But you usually have to have Off your days are in reviewed. May. That's when you yeah. get your off days. Yeah, May, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's when the off days happen. It's after the draft is when the off days start. And it's not that many. But it's Monday is not an off day. And that's when these guys, so they'll have a game, a playoff game. And then they're prepping for another playoff game. And they they that's exhausting. And then all of a sudden you have to do like a three-hour half-day interview where it's like they were talking about offensive philosophy, team philosophy. What do you like at each position? What do you think of our roster right now? How do you think of our draft picks? Where They're asking you a thousand questions. So not only do you have to know your team, I have to know the team that I'm about to play in the playoffs the next week that I probably have barely studied so far. And then I also have to 
whatever team I'm interviewing for, some garbage team that just fired their head coach, I have to talk to them and also have to know the dynamics. I have to know the politics of that because what if the GM's trying to hire you and they just drafted this guy you think sucks? All of a sudden you're going, oh yeah, this guy can't play. The GM's going to go, well, screw this guy. He hates my first round pick last year. He's going to get me fired. So like, you have to deal with that kind of stuff too. It's it's exhausting. And so I think if it's standardized, yeah, some guys are going to cheat the system or whatever, but at least might give some of these guys a deep breath to take a chance or, or, or get a chance to take a deep breath and then do the interviews. So I, I, I think that's the, the, the plus side of all this. I, I spend half a day prepping for this stupid podcast three days a week, I, let alone a job interview. Oh. I just I, I just don't under, I never, never understood. It's nice how, having those Sundays back, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, it, it is kind of nice. But I, I have just never understood how that made sense in terms of getting just vetting candidates in the right way and having guys present themselves in the best possible way. I've always thought that it was such a difficult thing to ask guys to juggle, and I completely understand why they'd want to change it. The other one that has created a lot of wrinkle, of a lot of ripple effects today and a lot of stirring in the NFL world is the proposal that was put forth by the Ravens. So what they're calling this is the spot and shoes rule that would completely change overtime rules in the NFL. So you reacted to this today. So I want you to explain this rule to me like I am Michael Scott with the lemonade stand as a five-year-old. Okay, yeah. And I'm going to explain it through board games and stuff. No, but I I love uh, the mechanic or anything to make things fair and a way to make things fair in life or anything. Say like we had a piece piece of cake is, hey, we're splitting this 50-50. All right, well, who choose what's 50-50? Okay, how about I cut it, and then you pick what side you want? So that's a way to make it fair. You're, you're, you're dictating your own choice, you know, uh, or the choices that are available to the other person. So what they're doing with the playoffs, with the Ravens proposal is, is one team, which is funny because they're probably going to come down to a coin toss to decide this, so there's chance anyways. There will be a coin decide- toss in some capacity, but yeah, limiting the of impact of the coin toss is worth pursuing. Yes. Yes. So one team gets to pick the yardage that either team starts at. So if I'm, I'm, I'll just make it up. I'm the bears. I'm playing the Vikings. Bears play the Vikings. I'm the bears. I win the coin toss. I go, I'm going to, we're going to start the ball at the minus 40, our own 40 yard line. The other team, the Vikings in this case would then go, okay, we're starting on offense or we're starting on defense. And it's sudden death from there. And that's where the fun comes in because then it's, well, everyone goes, well, why don't you just put it at the 50 yard line? And then, you know, well, every yard closer to the end zone is a lot more valuable. First off, second off, the other team's choosing. So then you have to take in the game situation, opponent situation going like, well, no one has stopped our offense all day. Like, yeah, we'll start on offense or, but what if the other team goes, Hey, you start at the minus one, you know, you start your own one yard line or minus 10 or something of that sort. So that's where all the game situations and all that kind of come into place. But that is what they're, that's what they're proposing. The Ravens is I pick a spot. The other team decides whether they start on offense or defense. And then we go sudden death from there. It's fascinating. And, and it, I love it. it throws a hundred <laughs> different facets, a hundred different considerations in the equation. Who's your quarterback? How well you've been playing? What's yeah. the feel of that day? Mathematically, what does it say? I'm sure that there would be a million spreadsheets till the end of time about what the best way to handle this would be. And the coach would say, well, I know what the spreadsheet says, but I was feeling a certain way this day. Mm -hmm. And it gives an advantage to teams that have strategic advantages. If you're a team like the Ravens, right? Your coach has shown a propensity and ability to understand fourth downs in ways that most teams don't because you're an analytically forward organization that has gotten through to its head coach. They have garnered an advantage in that area. This would be another place where they could in part because they have a CEO head coach who is only doing strategy. That is what he does. 
if you're a play calling head coach and you've got to be worrying about the play you'd call if you get the ball first and then now this is something else, you're again at a disadvantage in the way that I think a lot of play calling head coaches are in now when it comes to strategic decisions like this. So it's there's a lot of stuff that you have to weigh and balance here. Yeah. So it's a drastic change that I absolutely yeah. do not think will be put into place, but it's a really interesting idea. I know. I love it. I, any rule or anything that happens that rewards smart play or smart thinking, I'm all yep. for. I, I'm for incentives to work towards intelligence. That is like my motto in life. Like I, I just want everyone to make the right decision always. Of course, that's life. But it's. I think this rewards smart teams, and so that's why I like it. Um, and also, it provides so much fodder for Twitter uh, as oh soon God. as someone goes, Oh, why they pick defense first? You got shredded for 400 yards. You know, oh my God, I please let this happen. Like, this is going to be so much fun. Like, I'm telling you, like, that would be so much fun to like just go, like, some team goes, some team goes, Hey, we're running the ball great, you know, and they average like three and a half yards and then they decide to start on offense at their own 20. Like, stuff like that would just be so rewarding. I, I mean, it, anytime it just decision making comes out, like or decision making where we can decide as well. That's a lot of fun, and I get it. I, this is so much fun for me because I'm not involved with it. But it's but the but I I exactly what you're saying. It's going to reward that CEO type of coach or a team like the Ravens that has like ten analysts on their team, like a, you know analytically minded people um, in the front office. It's like it's going to reward those teams. But guess what? Then nudge all the other teams to get those types of people, and. This is an incentive for them. It nudges them towards that types of thinking. So I, I'm all for it. And I love it. I love any type of these kind of changes, anything to tweak the overtime to make it a little more exciting because it usually just turns into a don't lose battle. And I, I just want teams to try to win. You always want teams to try to win. That's why in soccer, it's three points for a win and one point for a tie, not two points for a win and one point for a tie because a win is three points. It's that much more valuable. And so I, anytime that you have an incentive like this, I like. I, I'm totally for it. I think the overtime is just so boring and, Anything to inject a little bit of excitement into it, I completely support. All right. Yeah. That is all we got. Thank you so much to Lewis Riddick for stopping by. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It's always great to chat with him. We'll be back next week. A lot of fun stuff for you guys. Mike Sando is going to be here for Tuesday's show. We're going to talk about some of the quarterback movement that's happened in the NFL. We have a lot more on tap for next week as it relates to this free agent class, but also free agency in general. We're going to kind of continue with these bigger picture looks at the way that free agency has worked, the way that it does work for specific parties throughout the league. So please come back and check that out next week. Please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. That would mean a lot to me. Please subscribe to The Athletic. There's so much free agency coverage on the athletic right now it is just and draft stuff go dane brugler everything that shield is doing there's an endless amount stuff. of stuff it is indispensable if you are caring about and learning about the nfl at this point in the calendar theathletic.com slash football show please go check that out we'll be back next week always good to talk to you guys we'll talk to you later this was the athletic football show